The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Everyday Peace. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. I'm super excited to have you here with us today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. And on this program, we talk about the philosophy of everyday peace as a system. That's right. A system for us to use so we can achieve our next level of greatness. Did you know that there is a proven system to get you from where you are to where you want to be? That's right. And we use everyday peace to do that. We bring on the guests and the topics that highlight opportunities for us to learn, to grow, and yes, to laugh because laughter should be a part of every happy life. If you're new to our tribe, I want to welcome you to the world of everyday peacemakers. You can learn more about me, Dr. Drayvon James, and my philosophy of everyday peace by visiting my website at drdrayvonjames.com. The website includes words of wisdom, encouragement, contact information. You can get free gifts, things that help you improve your life and live the life that you want to. So log on to drdravonjames.com today, bookmark it, visit it often. We're always doing something fabulous, always getting something new for you. If you're not a member of our free Facebook group, Leaders in High Heels, I encourage you to do that today. It is a community of women supporting women to our next level of greatness in our health, our wealth, and our relationships. So as you know, our theme for 2022 is it's time to improve my life. I love that. Let's make it personal. Why? We make it personal because we take accountability for the life that we are living. Did you know that you are the CEO of your life? You absolutely are. And so we're going to bring on the guests. We're going to talk about the things that help you to align your physical life with your wildest, most, I know, tremendous dreams. And so today, we are here today, we're talking to Nora Declasis. I know I mess up. You guys know I butcher a name. I don't know what it is. I can practice, practice, practice. When I get on the show, my tongue just says, nah, we're not going to do it. <laughs> so Nora Declasis, I hope I said that right. But we're talking today about stress. We're talking about stress. How many of you have ever experienced stress? I know I have. And we're talking about using ancient practices to deal with modern day stressors. How does a society or an entire civilization, for that matter, cope with the stressors that have been building up during the last few years? Frustration, anger, pain, and even hatred seem to be running rampant in world, worldwide. Well, author Nora Declasis explores a path that could offer an effective coping strategy for readers of her new book. Now, here we go, guys. Zen Rohatsu, which became a number one Amazon bestseller 
within 24 hours after it was released. You know, this has got to be good information. We are so thankful to have you on our show, Nora. Welcome to Everyday Peace. Thank you so much for having me. And that, that just sounds fabulous. I'm getting to know you and uh, loving every minute of it. Oh, and I hope I did not butcher a lot of things here because, you know, I can do that. But my heart's in the right place. I get so excited about um, being able to bring these topics, especially this one, one of my favorite topics of dealing and coping with stress and uh, pronounce the title of your book. I want to make sure I said that. Zen Rohatsu. Zen Rohatsu. Okay. Tell me, tell me, let's talk about that title because I'm intrigued. (laughs) Terrific. Uh, let's, it's a good place to start. Uh, Rahatsu actually means the, the eighth day of the 12th month, and that's when it's celebrated. So December 1st through December 8th, when Rahatsu happens. And what I le- elected to do with this book is to take it during uh, the Rahatsu holiday, which is a Zen holiday, and basically carry it so that I could do and teach and write about uh, the backstory of why we meditate and how we omit stressors uh, in life. Rahatsu is essentially the one week when the Buddha just gave up and said, I'm going to sit under this tree. I'm going to sit under this fig tree and I'm going to figure it out and I'm not going to get up until I do. So what we do uh, as Zen meditators is we reenact the way we think he behaved uh, during that week. And I've included uh, many, many of the various ways in which uh, he came to several conclusions on a path to less stress, on a path to less suffering. Well, I love that. The eighth day of the 12th month. And I even love more that you say, this is the day that the Buddha just says, I give up. They not give up. I'm sitting under this tree. That means I'm going... Let me just tell you what I hear. I'm going to let go and get into what my term is to get into flow, right? To um, to be to be in the present moment, and that's when I believe a lot of creativity happens in my own life. Is that practice of being able to let go? So we're talking about this practice, and we're talking about today, uh, or or the practice of Zen Rahatsu um, in your book Zen Harasu, Rahatsu and dealing with modern day stressors, which really feel very real, almost tangible, if you, if you will, uh, but using some ancient practices to do that. And I think that is precious because we do know that there, was, there were remedies for everything in the land well before we got here, right? And I believe, and many other people believe as well, that with, inherent within us is the ability to heal, right? So we can heal. Um, and it's just being able to connect and to learn. So you started on this book and, and you wanted to get that message out, out there to people. Uh, talk to us about some of the retreats and the seminars and things that you're doing uh, along your practice. For about the past two decades, uh, I have run retreats and seminars uh, exclusively for women women who are looking to become more self-actualized, to mitigate stress, uh, to learn meditation, and to do many of the techniques uh, that I describe in the opening of the book. For example, writing haiku, just sitting down in nature, maybe taking a picture after a nature walk, 
and writing a beautiful little Japanese poem. And this is something that might happen during the Rahatsu week. Uh, I open the book with a guided visualization that places you at the time of the Buddha under that fig tree. What, what is he thinking about? What, what happened to him that he was able to come to these conclusions that life really is suffering and uh, that's almost diagnostic. And then coming up with a absolutely brilliant plan uh, to, how to how to mitigate that and to give you a prescription on how to mitigate it by being ethical, by being moral, by being kinder, by being more compassionate, by meditating. And more importantly, I think at that point, he's really looking, uh, he was really looking at what he called right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. Many people have no uh, awareness that they are using the word mindfulness uh, on a daily basis, particularly during pandemic, uh, mindfulness and uh, spirituality. And where did these things come from? The primary source uh, was the Buddha, the Buddha uh, called Siddhartha Gautama. So I would teach that uh, during the retreats. We would also have yoga. We'd also take those nature walks and we'd have guest lecturers uh, who were fabulous. And the women would come back and they would come back with their mothers and they would come back with their daughters. And it, it's, it's been a lovely journey um, running Tranquil Seas retreats. But at some point uh, it became obvious that I could reach more people by publishing some of the things that we were doing in the books that I have published over the years. And all of the books uh, are intended to help people manage stress better. Uh, meditation and Zen meditation uh, happen to be uh, my choice, my first choice. It's something that I start my day with, much the way I start my day with exercise, much the way I live in a very mindful way, or certainly I attempt to. It's a, it's a goal. It's always a goal on a daily basis, and staying in the present is a big part of it. Yeah, I love that you said that um, daily meditation is your choice of, of dealing with stress. Now, what do you say to, and we're going to focus on women because I, I love that, but definitely we, uh, men can benefit and do benefit from meditation. I know a number of men who are doing that as well. But what do you say to people who say, and I get this a lot as a life coach, I cannot meditate. I can't sit there. I can't focus. I get nervous. How can a person begin a meditative meditation process of healing? I began shortly after the death of my father, which was at a, a very young age. Uh, I was looking for answers. And through high school, I started to read uh, some of the books on meditation. Uh, at the time, there were very few, but there was one by Herman Hass called Siddhartha. And Siddhartha, of course, is the historical Buddha. The historical Buddha is not a deity. The historical Buddha is a man who walked the earth for 80 plus years. And as the primary source from many, many years ago, uh, it occurred to me that he was, he was my choice. He would be the choice, uh, particularly after reading the novel Siddhartha. And I felt during college, that during my days in college and graduate school, I should also try the other types of meditation. And we both know that there are dozens and dozens and they are fabulous and they are right for some people. Uh, so I'm very clear on this point. When I started to write this book, uh, it was in the middle of pandemic because a lot of family and friends came to me and said, 
you need to, you really need to tell the story to more people. You've never actually written on this particular topic, which is true. Uh, so I decided to do this backstory of my process, my personal journey, but I wrote it completely almost a third person, leaving the uh, last chapter to my personal journey, which included after trying dozens of types of meditation that just sitting mindfully. Uh, in fact, I sit shikantanza, which means I sit and don't move for about 20 minutes. And I sit uh, on a zafu, uh, which is on a zabutan, a little pillow on a slightly larger one. Uh, and then I stand during something called walking meditation. That's called kinhin. And for that 10 minutes, if you can walk in a meditative state, you're pretty you're a pretty good meditator. You really have achieved your goal of um, being able to meditate, whether you're on a cushion or uh, in the walking position. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Why do I teach it? Because I believe in it. Why did I write about it? Because I think it's fascinating to always go back to the primary source. And that was important to me as an academic. Yeah, I think that's so interesting that, um, you know, I hear you talking about the different forms of meditation or the different practices, um, whereas you, one, you're doing it and sitting and literally not moving. And I want to ask this question for our listeners is that when you're literally not moving, you're sitting, where is your mind? What, what, what are you able to empty your mind of all thought and just have a blank canvas or are our thoughts, um, you know, moving past you like clouds and you just sort of watching them as they go? Or what's happening to those thoughts as you're sitting like that? Or, or even terrific, when you're walking? Terrific question. And Zazen meditation basically says after you sit on that Zafu, you try not to move, you try not to fidget. So let me give you an example that might answer this the best. In the early days, uh, I would sit on the Zafu and, and I would get an, an itch on my face as we all do. And I would scratch it and the leader would come over and say, just sit, but it, it's itchy, but the itch will come. And guess what, Nora, the itch will go. Wow, what an, what an interesting idea. As in life, the itch will come and the itch will go. And then he faced me against the wall. And even though my eyes are always open, uh, at half mass during all meditation, I was facing a wall and my nose was running. And he would say, this is part of life. Your nose will run <laughs> and it will stop. So how do I proceed in Zazen? I say this, oh goodness, out the window uh, of the Zendo, I hear fire trucks. Now, normally I might lean over to you and say, wow, I hope that fire isn't too close or goodness, I hope everyone's okay. But in Zazen, this is what happens in your mind. You have an awareness of the fire truck and without saying a word, you simply say to yourself silently, fire truck siren. You don't say it. You don't say it to the person next to you. You let it come and you let it go. That's Zazen. And Shikantanza, which is a kick up, you just sit. I didn't even hear the fire truck. And I'll tell you something that once I've mastered that, I've never fallen asleep, never once. 
very proud of that. And I'm, I find that somewhat atypical because most of my friends um, and members of the Sangha have some experience uh, of falling asleep, particularly late am, into the night. I am that meditator. I will have to say that I, um, I meditate. I try to meditate three times a day. Um, on a good day, on a weekend, when I don't have much else to do but concentrate on me, I could do long stints at a time. But sometimes I can only meditate five minutes at a time. But I, but I can say when I meditate late at night, I will get so relaxed and so into that. I wake up like, oh my gosh. But yeah, so I, I can relate to that. And I love that um, I don't have a name for my meditative practice. I've read a lot of them, but I love the fact of acknowledging what is without getting involved in what is, right? And isn't that the secret of, well, one of the secrets, I'll say it that way. One of the secrets of living a happy life. I'm going to say happy. My tongue wants to, my heart wants to say peaceful, but I want, you know, you can put whatever you want in there, but is to acknowledge, yeah, that's, you know, rain comes and rain goes and, and an itchy nose or itchy face comes and itchy face goes and a runny nose comes and a runny nose goes. And it's just a thing. It's just a thing, right? So we're going to pause right there. And we're back, and our guest today is Nora Declasis, and we're talking about using the ancient practices to deal with modern day stress. And we, right before the break, we talked about um, we're talking about meditation and what happens when things pop up into our minds. And you mentioned that your leader uh, said, "Well, you know, that's just it, it, your your face is going to itch. Be still." Isn't that beautiful to know that? And I, and I, as, as you were saying that, it was so calm and so soothing, but I thought to my, to my day, you know, I, um, things are going to happen. Stay present, right? It's going to, we're, we're, we're in a society with so many different people and so many different things going on, so many different stresses, and it's easy to follow one down that pathway, isn't it? And, and follow that, go down that pathway and say, okay, it, this is horrible. There's so much stress down here. I'm anxious now. I'm depressed now, right? And because we've we've gone and we start scratching at it instead of and I'm speaking metaphorically because I love that example that you gave. We've gone and we start scratching at the itch instead of just acknowledging. Correct. Oh, it's itchy there. I love I love it. It's I mean I tell you that you are great because it's sound you making me believe. <laughs> And and, this, and I have an active meditative practice, but it is a practice for a reason because there are some things I get to the end of my day and I say, now, why did you let that get you so frustrated? Right? Now, now that practice actually has this path called middle path, which keeps us, you know, in our lane of middle path and it includes single tasking. Now we're taught in college, oh, learn how to multitask. You're going to be so much more successful. no. No, no. When you're pouring water, just pour water. When you're chopping wood, just chop wood. And this is from 2,700 years ago. This is from the genius known as Siddhartha Gautama. And when you're resting, rest. Don't rest. let, right? Don't sit there thinking to yourself, I should be doing the laundry. 
I should be doing your rest. And, and that's a thing that needs to be done as well. Wouldn't you agree? I totally agree. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love what we're talking about. And it's so funny. I, I just finished doing a talk from my leaders in high heels and um, talking about single tasking. It's so important to be present in this moment, to give everything to this moment. To me, that is the most, it's the most rewarding as the giver of that, but it's the most rewarding as the receiver of full attention in this moment. It calms everything down. I can remember when I was a new mom and my kids are 22 and 19 now, and I didn't do this, but I, I say this because I know we have women of, and, and people of all different stages of our their life listening to the show. But I can remember a member of my church saying to me when my daughter was born 22 years ago, and she said to me, be present with the baby. Don't try to vacuum. Don't try to cook dinner. She said, just be present with the baby. And I thought to myself, who's going to do all of this other stuff? Now, I was so much, you know, 22 years younger then, but I get it. It was, it was the resisting, or I will say this because I don't like the word resisting. I will say it was embracing being present in the single most important task in that moment. Exactly. And I, I was studying this myself before I had a baby. And I think equanimity came into play for me, the ability to you know, to look at a situation, uh, you know, in a way of saying balance at the same time, sort of step back and be the observer. And, you know, whether it's raising a child or in any endeavor uh, later on, you know, going into corporate America, practicing equanimity, again, is part of the ancient practice. So a lot of the words that we are using these days, whether it's mindfulness or single tasking or equanimity, come from this ancient practice. I, I keyed in on mindfulness in a prior book and uh, I did multicultural mindfulness and I wanted to do multicultural mindfulness so that I could basically put it out there that there are ways in which you can be mindful. They're totally free. They don't involve, uh, you know, taking a master's degree in multicultural <laughs> mindfulness, like Huga, for example, in Denmark, the way in which uh, the youngsters and the adults practice uh, a Huga. It is a marvel, or, or Norway, where people just go out and hike in the icy cold weather, something that Americans are still a little <laughs> timid uh, when, it, when it comes to going out. And I do, I go out in the icy cold and I take my, my cross-country skis and that's a very mindful, meditative experience. It is not Zazen, but it is one of the many. Uh, and I pride myself on giving alternatives because not everyone is going to sit and meditate for the same amount of time that I do and shouldn't and shouldn't necessarily. Um, I gave up my meditative practice for one day when uh, Zen Rahatsu hit the number one bestseller uh, on three of the categories because it surpassed, and if you remember back to what we just talked about, it surpassed Herman Hesse's Siddhartha, the book that got it started for me. Uh, now that was published many years before I was born. Uh, it's a, it's been around a long time, and he was actually a Nobel laureate in literature, uh, and an amazing writer and a prolific writer. Uh, but there was my little book, moving slightly next to his, which was exciting and so exciting that it moved uh, 
uh, above his, I had to practice equanimity and calm it down and basically say to one friend, guess what? This is what happened. And she said, don't you ever get excited? <laughs> and I do. I do. And that was excitement for me, just being able to tell that one friend what had occurred. Uh, and it's a good, healthy way to be. I have maintained equanimity throughout the pandemic. In fact, when people came after me to write the book, and they did come after me to write this book, um, they, they, they saw that I was stable and happy and functional and you know, doing all the things that we need, all needed to do uh, from day one of, of pandemic. And I attribute it to this ancient practice, which so I, I have lived my entire life. I am fascinated by what you just said, your friend said, because I think a lot of people reject equanimity because they want the highs, right? They want the, the exhilaration expressed in a way that is common for it to be expressed. But on the other end of that, to, to have that to me is to have the deep sorrow, right? You can't have one of those extremes without the other. And I like the idea of being, of being I would say in harmony, right? Is being able to acknowledge, but there is something that uh, I'm reminded of when you were just speaking and your voice is so soothing as well. So I, your practice has become you, become a part of you. It, 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 it exudes. But uh, Paul in the Bible says, I've learned um, to be content in all things, right? And I think that's what I hear is that, you know, when you were speaking is that Paul was saying at that point, is, at least my interpretation today is that, and, you know, to see a thing is just a thing. He says, when, when there was little and there's, he could be content when there's little, when there's an abundance of good, he could be, uh, you know, during a famine, during abundant times, he can also be content. But I think that is because, I'm going back to your example about scratching the itch on the face or the nose, you know, it's just famine or it's just abundance. And I don't mean starvation, literally, I just mean it's, it's just a situation. And so I can do what needs to be done in that situation without it reshaping me or taking me off of my purpose, my being. That's what I hear you your practice is, am I getting it right? Uh, ex exactly. And uh, probably the most rewarding part of that was um, a chapter I did on grief. And that, you know, that really uh, hit home for me. Two of my friends, two of my close friends lost husbands to heart attacks, sudden instant heart attacks. And I had a chapter on the way in which the Zens and the Tibetan Buddhists deal with grief. And it, it, they wrote back to me and said, this really helped. This allowed mm -hmm. me, this allowed me to finally understand the concept of equanimity uh, during the process of grief. See, equanimity is the antithesis of indifference. Indifference, uh, which is, and they're constantly uh, redefining it. People are redefining it, but uh, it is not indifference. Indifference doesn't give you choices. Equanimity allows you to sit back and realize it's time for you as the wife. He lives on through you. You loved him dearly. And 
during the first 49 days, for example, in the Tibetan Buddhism, you continue to pray and talk to the deceased. You don't cry. You wait until the 49th day, and then their feeling is uh, the soul and the spirit moves on. And then you can grieve, but only for a short period. They're really looking at it as something that has a natural process. The Buddha was never told about death. The Buddha, Siddhartha, was never told about illness. Uh, he never really got to experience it as a prince. And I explain that in the book. And that haunted him when he finally went over the wall and had these sightings and said, you know, there's more to life than what the king told me. So I need to evaluate. And his evaluation came from looking at the, um, the ostentatious lifestyle in which he was raised to the total poverty that he put himself in. That's why he sat under the tree. He sat under the tree to differentiate between which is better, neither middle path. I have to wish that some of the politicians would uh, consider that <laughs> and come together to chat rather than what's happening. And I don't ever discuss politics. Right. No, and but what you're just saying to it, and it's such this is such an enlightening conversation. And, and I could talk to you for hours, truly, I could, because there's so much. This is a practice, and I know that it takes it, you've been practicing it obviously for many, many years and, and, and teaching it and walking other people through it. But what I'm hearing too is that you know, it's perspective, right? Because we give everything in our journey all of the meaning that it will ever have. And that includes birth and death. We give it all of the meaning that it will ever have. And I love that about, you know, proper way to grieve is to continue to talk, continue to commune with that individual, right? And then, um, you know, gracefully um, have a period of, of grief, you know, albeit brief um, at the end there. Uh, it, it's, it can be, I can tell you for myself in, in my own pra you know, practice, I lost my mom recently, quite suddenly. And that was part of my practice. And it still is to this day, it's been over a year, but to still um, have conversation in, in place of sorrow, right? Is to have conversation and to have a gratitude practice surrounding her life and our relationship and all that she taught me. So I know that this, um, this harmony amongst our emotions, there's a lot to it. The book is, again, Zen Rahatsu. And our guest today is Nora Deklasis. And I'm going to let you say everything properly, Nora, because I don't want to butcher this. This is so very important. I know that our listeners out here today are going to benefit from reading your book, from develop, if you don't already have a meditation process in place, a daily meditation, as you just heard Nora say, you pick a meditation process that suits where you are today. It may evolve, but there is no right or wrong. But to, to de deny yourself this, this sort of peace in your journey is really not what you want to do. But um, Nora, give us your, your name pronounced properly and the name of the book, where we can get the book, and how, how, um, how listeners can connect with you, a website or something. My website is my name, noradeclasis.com. The book is sold exclusively, uh, exclusively at this point on amazon.com. 
using Amazon. Uh, and I will say that when you do read it, you'll realize that it's not in place of religion. It has zero uh, to do with your religious practice. Uh, certainly, that has nothing to do with my religious practice. And I hope that uh, you'll take a look. And I hope that it has some meaning for you uh, in one of the eight or nine chapters. It's a short read, um, about 90 minutes, uh, as most things are in Zen. Again, uh, Amazon.com and NoraDeklasis.com. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm so, I, it is I that should be thanking you. And the pronunciation of the book again is Zen Rahatsu, R-O-H-A-T-S-U. Correct. Zen, Zen being the first part, Z-E-N. I, I mean, and I, I tell you, I am, I am a lover of the short book. Um, time moves so fast um, in, you know, in this world, you know, between work, family and all that. It's great to get something that you can read and then make it a pocket reference, something that you can go back to and say, oh, my goodness, I got a chapter on grief. I can I could really use this in my life. or I can really use this to to assist somebody on their journey as they go through these different seasons of life. So I strongly encourage you to get the book available to you via Amazon. So I, I love that. I love your energy. I love what you've said to us today about um, connecting through meditation and most powerful. I hope our listeners get this. If you remember nothing else from the show today, remember to go get the book, right? But also remember that wonderful uh, lesson that you gave us. It's just, you know, it's just an itch. It's just an itch, whatever it is, no matter how big or insurmountable this issue seems in your life, it will pass. Right? Become the observer. You don't have to participate in all this. Well, these are ways you're giving us tips, really tips today, Nora, of really how to deal with stress because it's all around us, right? We've got to know how to cope, how to, how to not let it penetrate and diminish this journey that we're having. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. This is Everyday Peace. I welcome you to continue as an everyday peacemaker. If you have not um, joined our free Facebook group, Leaders in High Heels, I invite you to do that today. We are a group of women who are collectively working together to improve our lives, to get to our next level of greatness in our health, our wealth, and our relationships. If you would like to connect with me, also please visit my website at drdravonjames.com. I absolutely love you. This is Everyday Peace. We'll talk soon. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.